request uh, Sri uh, N. Hari Prasad Ji to switch on his video. Um, so I have mentioned this last time as well. In fact, even before uh, the book, now this session is about the book, uh, The Flight of uh, uh, Deities. Uh, even before this book was published, you know, Indic Academy organized a, a, a one-day event in uh, Delhi. Uh, and uh, Professor Meenakshi uh, ji presented some of her work, you know, which greatly moved uh, uh, most of the people who were there. And you know, many of them were moved to tears. And it has, in fact, uh, strengthened the resolve and, resolve and determination of most of the people there to work uh, you know, uh, and do their part uh, in, the civil, you know, in developing the civilizational narrative which is you know, much needed. And uh, this particular book, it describes the relationship Hindus have with their deities and to what extent they have gone uh, in being able to protect uh, uh, their uh, you know, deities. And uh, Sri Hari Prasad uh, uh, was suggested by Abhinav as an apt person to actually discuss with uh, Meenakshi ji. He himself uh, has done good amount of work in this area. I'd like to just say a few words about uh, 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 Hari Prasad uh, uh, ji. Um, so Hari Prasad uh, Nilithita, that's his full name, is based out of Bangalore and works in the software industry on cloud computing and operating systems. Uh, he is an alumni of uh, SJCE Mysore and IIM Bengaluru. Uh, Sri Hari Prasad has special interest in the areas of spirituality, politics, and law. He blogs regularly on the topics um, related to uh, uniformity of law in India, and he also tweets as uh, Prana Sutra on Twitter. He writes often for uh, Indic Today. His articles on samskaras have attracted a lot of attention and viewership on Indic Today. Uh, and also his two-part article, Bhasha Viveka, comprehending the intricacies of interpreting Sanskrit, is an excellent article. Uh, and I you know, request everybody to go to Indic Today and uh, you know, read that uh, article. It's a very unique perspective on language. Uh, Sri Hari Prasad has also published an English translation of Sri Vadiraja Tirtha's uh, Tirtha Prabandha and another book highlighting the virtues of Bhimasena in the Mahabharata. Uh, thank you, uh, Hari Prasad ji, uh, for being here today, and I request you to start your session. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Srinathi. Namaste. Namaste, Meenakshi ji. Namaste. Uh, I think it goes without saying, just like all the other, uh, you know, interlocutors here, it's an absolute privilege to be discussing with you and especially discussing this book with you. I think there is some context to the two of us also, but, uh, you yes. know, I won't get into it. No, but I, a... I, I think that that context has to be mentioned because when I was, uh, I'll mention it for the viewers, when I was writing my book, Flight of DTs, then I came across a Kannad text and Hari Prasad, very kindly offered to translate it for me in English. And I've used excerpts of that translation in my book. So thank you, Hari. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, honor, Meenakshi ji, actually. Uh, anyway, uh, I'd like to just show this book. This is the book published in 2019, uh, Flight of uh, Deities and uh, Rebirth of Temples. That's the title. I think, Meenakshi ji, we can almost call it a fight of Hindus and repeated birth of temples also. Because <laughs> yes. That is, the, that is the real essence of uh, yes. this book is uh, actually yes. about some key lessons from the book, if I may say so. Uh, I'll just make a couple of points and then, uh, you know, ask a few questions uh, to you about this. I mean, one thing that comes across clearly from your research, uh, Meenakshi ji, is that uh, 
for both sides right for the people who invaded this land and uh, you know came in search of what is precious they found temples to be the most precious thing in hinduism and perhaps the most uh, important thing to attack and for hindus also on the other side we realize that of all the things that we have to preserve and save perhaps temples are the key thing so there was no doubt about the fact that for uh, hinduism temples are the most critical you know part of uh, our uh, dharma and religion and um, you know therefore this is a very you know uh, appropriate uh, topic the second thing is there is this common refrain amongst all hindus that in spite of all the invasions in spite of so many attacks over thousands of years we have survived and then in this book you have shown that you know our temples have survived our temples have been repeatedly saved and uh, you know uh, given birth to again perhaps there is a connection between the two you know it's almost like the concept of soul that we believe in hinduism that uh, the soul never dies and yes. perhaps temples are the soul of hinduism as long as they don't die then hinduism doesn't die it comes across quite clearly from your book so uh, i want to start this discussion with one question there perhaps could have been many more related topics to this area which uh, you know from a historian point of view might have been easier for you you know documenting just the invasions the chronology of the events and so on yet you picked this uh, you know refined topic uh, a specific topic where you said i want to go and figure out how the hindus responded what efforts they made uh, some of the events that you describe are so detailed you know and for such a stretched over such a long period of time so what was the motivation for you to you know actually address this topic is there any context uh, to this uh, you know i have been a student of medieval indian history and uh, when i was a student and after i began my career as a teacher of medieval indian history the topic of iconoclasm was never touched either at my student level or when i myself became a professional but when i would go to sacred cities i would see evidence of destruction for example when you go to kashi then you when you see the masjid then you see the temple behind it it's very visible and i began to wonder were the hindus so helpless that people came from outside and attacked and there was no response secondly when i studied temple architecture and as anyone would know by the 12th century the temples had become huge structures they were gigantic structures big complexes huge gopurams i mean they were big structures so it was not possible to destroy a temple in a day whereas if you read the accounts you will read mahmud ghaznavi came and destroyed somnath and went as if you know it was a pack of cards and you can come and destroy it at, in one day so i began to wonder that if a temple could not be destroyed in one day were the people just watching when the temple was being destroyed what must they have been going through and then when i began to study i discovered a wealth of information see you can write 10 books on this subject but 
I didn't want to write more than one volume because it's something that you know how much suffering can you take, undertake when you're writing this kind of thing. But for every region, you can write ten books. So then I began to, and that is when I became aware that the mandir pujaris and the believers were running away with the image, and that is what really fascinated me. And I realized that in many cases where the image could not be protected or the image was destroyed, then they bought another image. Like in the Sun Temple, the original image that was there was described by Hyun Sang. The Chinese traveler Hyun Sang was the last eyewitness account of the image of that temple. And he's written in detail about it, that it was a gold image, etc. When that image was destroyed in the course of the invasions, then we hear foreign accounts saying that a wooden image is being destroyed. Because a wooden image is being worshipped. That gold image that was destroyed, the devotees substituted it for a wooden image because a wooden image is lighter and you can take it away. So that the interesting thing is that when the temple was destroyed, that site was occupied. So they could not reclaim that site. So they built something as close to that original site, a small thing because now they were no longer rulers. They could only build a modest structure, but they kept the same name for the temple, even it was built 10 times. They, they themselves wanted to perpetuate the memory of that temple, of that original temple. So Somnath was built so many times, but every time it got the name Somnath only. They did not change the name. So when we say that we have no memory, fantastic evidence of a cultural memory. Your mic you're is muted. You're muted, Hari. Sorry, sorry about that. It's interesting to hear that we also visit these sacred places and tour the same places, but you know, you you, you got you get inspired and we kind of just uh, enjoy and come back. I think there's a difference in perspective when uh, you know historians like you visit that. Topic. No, it's a question of growing awareness of your heritage. Right. It's a question of growing because I do believe that many people are now looking at their own area and trying to see if they can put together something from that area which tells the same story. I mean, at least for that reason, I will once again recommend this book. I think this can serve as a precursor. Having read this book, people go to these sacred spaces, then their perspective of what to look for their mind, I mean, will definitely yes. change. Yes. Uh, my next question, uh, Meenakshiji, is on, um, you know, you, you've studied and documented so many temples across all four geographies, across, you know, from all over India. Uh, in terms of the struggle and the fight back that Hindus offered, to these invaders and iconoclasts, do you see any pattern uh, with how Hindus approach this? Uh, you know the nature of their fight back. Any commonalities in that cutting across geography? Uh, yes, uh, the commonalities are that everywhere they could, they first try to run away with the image. Now, what happened? There was a difference from the north to the south, because in the south at that time, the bronze images had become very widespread. So in the south, we have umpteen cases of the temple priests 
running away with the bronze images. And in many cases, the, the priests within the compound of the temple, they dug up it very carefully and buried the bronzes face down, covered it with sand and buried the images. In the north, we have come across only one instance, an inscription of an image being buried, a stone image. That is near Ajmer. And the person who buried that image was actually related to Jaychand of Kanauj. And this ruler, he and his priest had done a massive puja of Durga. And when they had finished the Durga uh, Yagya, and that is the time when the invasions were on in right honest. So this king and his priest, they dig a pit and they bury the Durga image. And then they cover it. But they wanted to know for themselves that when they come back, how will they find the image? So as an indicator, they put an inscription nearby. That inscription has survived, but that image we have not found. So the inscription says that, you know, Ma Durga, please forgive me that I'm placing you on earth, but I'm trembling with fear. I do not know how to react, but I promise that when the threat of the Yavan invasions goes away, I will reinstate you with all your grandeur. But I'm trembling with fear and, with fear and I beg your forgiveness. So this is one inscription that we have but we have not been able to find the Durga. In the South, uh, there have been massive recoveries of bronzes because the priests who buried them thought that the invasion will go away and then we'll bring them back. They did not realize that the threat is going to go on for so long. And the priests who buried them died. That place of burial was known only to a few people. So people forgot where they were buried. So now you hear of stories of farmers digging their fields and they come across bronzes. Those are bronzes that were buried in the south in the medieval period. What is common in the whole subcontinent is the widespread determination to save the deity because the temple could not be saved. So the, in the Ranganath temple, if I can just give you an example, there is also an inscription. So Sri Ranganath, the first time the invasion happened, they were helpless because they had not experienced anything before like this. So they were clueless. When the second invasion from the north began, they ran away with the murti of Shirangana. And the priests, they traveled all over the south, running, 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 because all the time seeking shelter in one place or another, finally they reached Kerala. When they reached Kerala, they were shocked to find that priests of so many temples of the south had reached Kerala with their images in search of shelter. It's a long story, but finally the priests managed to reach Tirupati. The temple of Balaji in Tirupati is finally where they took Shirandanath because that's also a Vaishnava temple. And Shirandanath was kept there. And if you go to Tirupati, 
the first room before you enter balaji's sanctum is called rangmandap that was the place that was created for shri ranganath during his stay in tirupati and there are very beautiful stories that the food that was now offered was the food that was the favorite of shri ranganath the bhajans and kirtans were done of songs that were favorable to him and sometime later a local chieftain came to tirupati for darshan and when he came because nobody knew where shri ranganath was na there was no telecom or radio or newspapers nobody knew where shri ranganath was when this person came to tirupati he saw shri ranganath and he was shocked that the lord is here so then he asked the temple please this is from shri ranganath can i take him back he said yes you can take him back so if you go to the ranganath temple today you will find an inscription on the wall which says that this person he says i am the one who brought back shri ranganath from tirupati on this date and had him reinstated here so there is so much inscriptional evidence that uh, it is a story that can be told a million times every district will have a story absolutely i think we have a similar story here in the udupi temple actually that inside the sanctum sanctorum of the udupi temple for hundreds of years there is there was another uh, venugopala swami uh, deity murti mm-hmm. and uh, it, it had almost come to a stage where people forgot how this additional murti came in mm-hmm. the swami ji used to just offer worship every day then they figured out that due to the threat uh, on the coast a few kilometers away from tipu sultan there was a temple and they had moved the murti from there inside this a more protected temple and now very recently just a few years back it's gone back there ma'am and a and a very beautiful temple is being rebuilt there i think it's already completed so such stories abound everywhere yes everywhere yeah, the guru varu temple also when it was under uh, threat from tirupur sultan they removed the image right absolutely it's very um, fascinating that you've told me this story it's there in every place absolutely so another related question to this ma'am so this was from a geography point of view and uh, you know approach point of view but uh, do you have any comments on uh, perhaps uh, uh, some places where uh, you know the fight back was not enough or it was not intense enough the reason i ask is there are many places in india where we have survived but we have also lost a few places you know some some parts are no longer part of india for example it's pakistan maybe some other regions like kashmir where we were we have not been able to save so many temples is it just because of the intensity of the invasion and you know just had to do with that or do you also see anything related to the way uh, hindus responded there perhaps anything missing or lacking uh, any comments on that actually i'd like to begin with afghanistan right so you know it if you look at uh, many accounts of that period uh, it was very important center of shiva worship there was the god was called zun z u n zun so uh, there, it was a very important uh, center of shiva worship and hun sang who traveled in that region mentioned devi cults also he mentioned devi cults and of course we know that buddhism was also very strong over there and uh, the presence of buddhism uh, you know is attested by the bamiyan buddhas which was standing there till very recently 
and just uh, some weeks ago i read that a buddha statue had been found and it was trampled upon and desecrated by the taliban so that entire area uh, was within the indian cultural sphere and uh, many of the kings who were ruling there were also actually you know the hindu shahis and uh, so the retreat began from there though one has when one is talking about the retreat one has to keep in mind that it took 400 years from the time of the first arab invasion till the turks actually occupied punjab so the resistance was very strong it was very strong but at some point and when the delhi sultanate was established in 1206 for 90 years uh, the sultans of delhi could not add even 1 inch to the territory that had been conquered up till the time of mohammad ghori so and if you look at the arab and turkish success in other parts of the world they decimated empires with such ease like knife through butter they destroyed syria iran iraq egypt even up to spain and france they reached so the resistance that they met in the indian subcontinent at the borders was something that came as a real surprise to them and the chachnama with a history of sin it details the total shock at the resistance that the arabs met in sind so from the first attack in sind to kabul area to reach punjab and occupy punjab is 400 years that is a major tribute to the kind of resistance but and in the south also the resistance was the resistance that was put up by the leaders it was quite remarkable they adopted all the pandyas they even adopted guerrilla tactics to uh, you know uh, uh, meet the northern armies then uh, the sangma brothers you know they uh, had to convert then they went back we embraced and the role of the shringeri mutt in facilitating this the shringeri mutt in spearheading and giving birth to the idea of resistance to protect the civilizational heritage these are all points that we have forgotten but we should remember with pride you know so kampil kampil a small little kampil how much it uh, resisted the tughlaq armies so these struggles these heroic struggles have actually been erased from our consciousness at some point i cannot say that the uh, the uh, resistance was less each part of india fought very valiantly against all odds why they succumbed i think the reasons vary from place to place. Uh, you uh, many tens of uh, places and many tens of stories have been documented by you. You know, painstakingly in this book. If I were to ask you to pick one 
uh, you know, temple or one incident that is most inspiring for you personally among that, which one would that be? No, I think each, I think each story has been a total inspiration for me. It has reaffirmed my faith in the resilience of our civilization that when everything is down, they did not give up. So it has been a humbling journey for me. It has been a learning experience for me. And I salute the memory of all my ancestors. There is no one particular case because each case has been so inspiring. Each case has been so motivating. You look at Ayodhya, you look at Somnath, you look at Kashi. I mean, there is no end. You know, Madurai, what they did in Madurai, they placed the image of Minakshi on the Gopuram. Imagine. And uh, they created a false wall in front of the Sundayeshwar's image so that the invader cannot attack. The kind of inventiveness that they showed. You know, in some places, throw the image in the river that we will recapture it later, throw it in the well, dig a wall, bury the image underground. The responses were so innovative and on the spot thinking because we had not experienced this large scale iconoclasm ever in the past. So each temple has a different story to tell of how they responded. And each and we owe it to ourselves and to our culture, our civilization, to learn about these experiences, to get inspired by them, and to deepen our commitment to our culture and civilization. Each story, the stories that I have told are not even the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, each region has so many stories. If you just take Gujarat, Rudra Mahale, I mean, so many. Kamakya in Assam I've not mentioned. How that was also attacked. Right. I think you mentioned about the attachment of the Hindus to the Murtis and the deities, which is the main theme. But yes. you've also touched upon the sheer attachment of the Hindus to the place itself. Obviously. From your, from your Rama book and also in this book, one small incident that I recall is uh, that you have mentioned is how the people of Ayodhya were so attached to that place. There's one incident you narrate where after the takeover and then, you know, at some point in time, there used to be some sort of prayers and all these Hindu sadhus and sons and others used to wait in the lanes and then, you know, kind of throw stones, attack them and say, this is our place, we will take it back or we can leave the place and so on. I think so much tribute we are paying these days to all the people who have led I think, firstly, these ordinary citizens of Ayodhya and the ordinary Hindus who just, you know, attached, clinged on to that place with so much fervor, they also, you know, I think require our tributes. Uh, when they had no, when they had no political power, that is the thing to remember. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, one, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, concerned question over here. So for the Hindus of today, I mean, we are at a crossroads now. We are like a secular democracy and so on. So there's always this conflict between what is appropriate and what's not. From all of these uh, lessons, you know, what, what would be the key learnings from for Hindus? You know, what should we do and what should we avoid? Do you have, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, what has disturbed me so much is how 
perception of our intelligentsia does not relate to this past at all and they are trying to denigrate it deny it or to ridicule it and there was a time when the intelligentsia led this struggle so how have we come to this pass when a sec section of the elite has become so unsympathetic to the cultural heritage i think it has to do with the education system and the over dependence on an imported ideology so you know these two things but i'm happy to note that the ordinary citizens they have not fallen into the trap of a foreign ideology and they have uh, been immune to this uh, intellectual uh, debate and their contribution in distorting our past so that is the positive thing that by and large the populace is not bothered about what left historians say or write if you look at any festival today it is celebrated with as much fervor as before it is only one section of the elite that is divorced from this reality and hopefully we can curtail that uh, disease uh, in the early stages itself <laughs> yes yes i think we have absolutely run out of time ma'am i think i'll stop uh, there's you. lots more to discuss but we'll stop here for today thank, thank you, you for this thank you thank you for this discussion and for writing this book ma'am thank you ari thank, thank you, you so much uh thank you hari prasad uh, ji thank you meenakshi ji